Welcome to Mental Healthy, where we share the stories and expertise of professionals working diligently in the field of mental health. I'm your host today, Dr. Kenyon Knapp. Well, welcome everyone to the Mental Healthy Podcast. We're glad to have you with us here today. Um, I've got some great guests today, and we're going to talk about a new topic about COVID and uh, a number of different aspects of that. But uh, today, I've got Dr. Christy Ford, Dr. Eric Camden, and Dr. Linda Holloway with us. So let me uh, ask you all. Wow. Well, um, what about um, Dr. Camden or Dr. Holloway? Can you relate to that or, or share your thoughts about how you try to deal with personal wellness or, or maybe the wellness of your students through this whole process? Okay, thanks. Um, yes, I actually, um, as she talked about the trickle-down effect, and I was going like, yes, 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 is, you know, we have this thing in counseling, be true to thyself. So I did a lot of, you know, just going introvertly and checking in with myself and not only saying just like doing the self-care is not being selfish, but it's just if I don't take care of myself, then I'm not modeling good behavior. But also in terms of spilling that over with my students, making sure they're doing that. So I actually did an article on, you know, maintaining mental wellness during COVID-19. I did a little short video for the university. And one of the things I really zeroed in was relax, release, and rest. And what do you mean when you're saying relax? I mean, relax, as she said before, about do what you can do. I have enough energy to do this today and be comfortable with and just and relax about it. It sounds simple, but it's not when you put it in and release those things that you do not have control over. And being able to just rest in the place that you're in, make sure you're getting enough sleep, make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Because as we was going through COVID, we know that we also was going through some racial uh, injustice in the world. So being at um, HBCU, which is a historically black colleges and university, we talked about those things in terms of how they impacted them and what that really means. And as she mentioned, you know, being kind to yourself as you are to others. So I actually incorporated something in my group class called writing yourself a love letter and what that would look like. Uh, detoxing, uh, limiting your social media because everybody's on social media, validating your emotions. And in the midst of all of these things that were going on, you want to be saying be grateful. I said create a grateful journal and, and, and think about those things that you do have. Are you able to breathe? Are you able to eat? Are you able to do certain things? So taking care of your mental health and just kind of coming up with your own uh, mental health kit. But also in the midst of this, for me, on the spiritual side, it's just kind of asking myself, what is it that God would have me to do in the midst of this? He still has assignments for me. And so I wanted to make sure that one of my things is always do your best, impact the space you're in, and leave a legacy. So in the midst of this, I started writing children books. I don't consider myself, I don't teach children, work with children, but it just really, really helped me because as I, one of my areas is uh, women in, uh, black women in mental wellness. But I said, once upon a time, these uh, black women were children. So what can we do for the children? And one of our things at the university is community, where we have to go out into the um, community and do stuff. So, you know, children was really struggling, you know, like in school, out of school, dealing with death, dealing with uh, suicide, teachers. I had teachers in my classes. We have school counselors. And so just really 
uh, doing that, that I was able to incorporate these children books in my classroom for adults. So when you think about bibliotherapy, and they just thoroughly enjoyed it and just knowing that I was uh, checking in on them. And I'm simply saying, stay connected. I was intentional and I'm still am intentional. I have, um, I had six sisters where one of them made a transition, six sisters and two brothers. And so you're normally just, like you say, on the run, you're calling here and there, but I'm intentional about calling people. And I simply say to them, don't want to hold a long conversation. I did this yesterday with two people. I usually have about three to five people I call a day. And I say, I just call to say, I love you. And I check out. Because everybody. That's an awesome list of, of helpful things to do there. You must have had about 10 things there. That, that's awesome. Wow. You, you know, um, you, you, you touched on so many things there, and it, it reminds me, um, at the beginning of this question, we talked about some of the illness-related anxieties people have felt. I know at this point in COVID, at least me personally, my anxiety is a lot lower than it was at the beginning. But at the beginning, you know, when COVID was a little more deadly the version of it than we have at the moment um i remember we didn't know who it was going to hit and um a number of us had friends pass away like i was mentioning the k-crep board a minute ago um one of my colleagues on the k-crep board a fellow named barry mascari um he got covid and passed away very quickly and um just i think a matter of like two or three days he had it and he was gone and um there was a lot of anxiety, especially there at the beginning. Um, how did you, maybe you yourselves handle the anxiety or how did you help others deal with their anxiety, as, um, especially at the beginning of COVID? What did you all do to help people with the, the anxiety? I think for me, uh, Dr. Knapp, I really leaned into the into the things that I could control. So my attitude about uh, about things, what I could do with my family, how I could lead my family, um, uh, especially from a spiritual perspective, um, but also setting kind of boundaries around things that I couldn't control and 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 not sort of you know I think at least me personally, I'm I'm drawn to maybe and maybe people in general are drawn to things that aren't going well or, or something like that. And so I had to, to really focus on uh, what are some good things going on in my life? What are some good things? But also validate that there, there's not, you know, that there's some significant issues out there, uh, right? Not ignore it and not, not put my head in the sand, uh, but, but kind of validate that. Um, you, you mentioned earlier also about students. I mean, I'm talking to students and uh, clients about boundaries and focusing on what they can control versus what they can't. Um, one of the things I like about being at a Christian university and a, a Christian private practice, and while our job isn't to preach at students or to preach at clients, if they want faith integrated uh, into their care, especially as clients, then then we'll certainly pray together. We'll talk about, you know, um, uh, God's sovereignty and uh, faith and hope. Which I think is important. Um, you know, hope is important from a secular perspective or a spiritual perspective. And I think really trying to draw clients to and, and students to the idea of, um, again, not invalidating any sort of experiences that they've been through, but really where are they placing their hope and where are they placing their faith and how can they uh, intentionally focus on that and lead others to that. And so um, that's one way that that I've addressed that with with my family. And one way I've tried to I've tried to stay sort of grounded. 
uh, grounded in that. Let me mention this too, and we're going to edit out what I'm saying right now. <laughs> if we have pauses in our conversation, that's fine. And um, later, Josiah, my intern here, he'll 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 take out the gaps we have, so it's no big deal if we go. Mm, we have to think for a second. So, all right, back to recording. <laughs> um, th those are some great ideas. Um, what about Dr. Ford or Dr. Holloway? What are some of your thoughts about how you've maybe dealt with your own anxiety or how you've helped others? deal with anxiety, especially early on with COVID. I love that Dr. Camden mentioned the idea of what can you control? What can't you control? There's actually an, an exercise on therapist aid. If you're familiar with that, it's called the circle of control. That exercise blew up at my practice uh, as COVID was onsetting. We did it with all of our clients. Um, I, I know as clinicians, we're always differentiating between irrational fear and rational fear. I think COVID was generating rational fear. I, I, you mentioned losing someone that you knew. I lost a first cousin. I lost an uncle. Um, we lost multiple people in our community, one of our elderly ladies at our church. Um, I lost a student during an intensive. On Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, he was there, not feeling well. By Thursday, he was on the hospital, and within a few weeks, he was gone. Uh, it greatly impacted his, what we call his triad, which was the students that he had been practicing with. They mourned, right? We grieved the loss of a student. So this is, it's different when working with our clients on an irrational fear, right? It's a very different process when you're working with them on a fear or anxiety that's growing out of something that is, this is really dangerous. I feel unsafe for really valid reasons, right? And um, I think all you can do is talk through um, what's my best defense, Right. You better believe I had my kids taking their vitamins and, you know, every day they were, you know, we were we were doing what we could do to control what you can control. But ultimately, it's really this process of letting go um, of things that are outside of your control. And, um, you know, anxiety is sneaky. It, it does like to spread and latch on to things that maybe do become irrational. I think we saw that with COVID. Right. You went from things that were legitimately scary um, into some spinning out of control with our clients in terms of just adding rules to rules to rules that um, were ultimately becoming incredibly dysfunctional. Um, so I think processing through each piece of that, but it really boils down to uh, if I can control it, it's the it's the serenity prayer, right? Help me to to change the things I can. Um, but I need wisdom to know the difference. There, there are some things that are just outside of my control uh, that ultimately I'm going to have to take a, a step outside of my front door and, and go back out into a dangerous and scary world. I tell students a lot, you know, God, God uh, designs us with a fearful brain and then he places us on an incredibly dangerous planet. Like we live as vulnerable people. This this is our reality, but there are times when the veil is lifted and I think that we're more conscious of that vulnerability. And I think COVID did that for us. It's just this collective awareness that we are incredibly vulnerable as a species. And this tiny little invisible bug um, is having its way and we can't do anything about it. It's taking people that we love. Um, so when you have a real threat, we can use those things to either close up and isolate for one from one another, which I think there was has been uh, that's been part of the mental health challenges as well as just simply the isolation. Um, 
or we combine together and we can say we're going to learn from this, right? Like we're going to we're going to choose what is in our control and um and try to make lemons uh, uh, lemonade out of lemons. We're going to we're going to try to turn this thing around and do some good with it. Absolutely. Do you have any thoughts, Dr. Holloway, about dealing with anxiety and either yourself or your clients or students? I think they've covered, you know, a tremendous a lot. So I would be just echoing what they said, you know, in terms of control, in terms of setting boundaries, relying on their, um, you know, spirituality. So they did. They, I don't have anything additional to add. I'll say amen too. <laughs> um, <clears throat> one thing, uh, sorry to to interject, but one thing that that I was thinking about while Dr. Ford was speaking, you know, after 9/11, church attendance just skyrocketed. Um, it's like there was there was a um, they saw that vulnerability that Dr. Ford mentioned. Um, there was a, a sort of a unified uh, enemy, so to speak, um, and, and it seemed like. Uh, at least uh, in my neck of the woods, it seemed like people were pretty unified. With COVID, uh, Dr. Ford mentioned it's it's invisible, right? An invisible bug, and and uh, at least again in my area, I haven't necessarily seen the same response to this uh, to the pandemic as as 9/11, where um, you know churches were closed or 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 they were moving. Uh, uh, to virtual, but it, it was that isolating factor, I think, that really had a, a, a debilitating effect on people also. And so I'm glad that uh, that that's changing a little bit, but um, I just thought that was important to talk about that, um, you know, the response to this has been much different than kind of previous uh, worldwide or nationwide events. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let me shift the conversation a little bit. Um, With all of us being counselor educators, um, we've talked a little bit about some of the needs of uh, counselors in training, but but what are some of the specific needs of counselors in training regarding COVID-19? And I'm thinking of, I mean, things like the the way the telemental health laws, you know, came on us so rapidly and and the learning curve with technology, you know, all the different, like in regards to students getting their internship hours, things like that, um, all of those things affected counselors in training. What, what are your thoughts about how you helped uh, students with, with their training process? Dr. Ford, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. You were mentioning earlier how the KCREP board, right, is scrambling. They're, they're experiencing the same chaos. So they're suddenly being inundated with questions that they're trying to figure out the answer to, right? And it's it's all happening simultaneously. I think there's been, uh, what I have noticed is a similar uh, response in state licensure boards, um, in insurance companies, right? Blue Cross Blue Shield trying to figure out are we going to go across state lines and, and you know be able to offer telemental services? And it seems like there are questions, you know, because we have CITs who are brand new anyway, and then supervisors who that's our job, right, is to to answer the questions, right? If my supervisee comes to me and says, "Is this okay? Is it ethical? Can I do this?" And then it's on me as a supervisor to give them a reasonable response that follows the ethics, that follows the laws, that follows the rules, but I'm seeking those answers from agencies, right, who are at the same time scrambling to decide what the answer to some of those questions are. So I think there was a lot of um, anxiety that was just related to um, 
I've entered this career field where I want to make sure I'm doing things ethically, responsibly, legally, but nobody seems to ever know the answers to the questions that I'm asking, right? It's like we're all collectively building the plane as we're flying it. I mean, it, we're just trying to figure this thing out. And um, I, you know, I experience a lot of CITs as very anxious in wanting to apply the things they've learned and scared to make moves because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble, right? Like they're afraid, oh, is this going to be some, is somehow is this going to come back on me? Well, you know, they're working so hard towards licensure. They want, they want so desperately to do the right thing. And um, I know it's also come up just um, inside our program for practicum and internship, right? How many hours in my practicum and internship can be telemental health? Is that okay? If I see my clients with telemental health instead of face-to-face, -face, is that still going to meet the requirements of my syllabus, but also um, KCREP rules? And then, you know, is somebody later, is this going to come back to haunt me later and I'm not going to get my license because I did it the wrong way? You know, I just, I have just um, been aware that my CITs, um, they have a lot of anxiety in general, but this really added a whole other layer of fear that I'm not doing this ethically or legally and that somehow it's ultimately going to come back to haunt me. And um, so, you know, we've done our best. I, I, you know, I've read through <laughs> being in Florida, I've read through the Florida laws and licensure rules more time in the last, more times in the last couple of years than in 20 years of clinical work put together. Like I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm digging in those rules. I'm like trying to make sense of it. And, and um, uh, unfortunately there is fear there. Even I think even for supervisors, right? There's fear of leading um, our CITs leading our students in the wrong direction, making a misstep. Um, so I, I, I think too. What you know, I think the original question you asked was, what do what do they need? You know, I think really what we need in a lot of ways in this field right now is we need this the collective conversation where the answers are more clear, right? Is it okay to? and then fill in the blank with these random circumstances that keep coming up over the last couple of years, um, we need information, right? So so the decision makers, the people who have the power to say, if you do that, you won't lose your license. Like we're gonna call it COVID and it's gonna be fine, right? Like to, I think we were talking about grace earlier, right? Like to know that insurance companies, state licensure boards, KCREP boards, that everyone is gonna have this same uh, collective understanding, this grace that we're all just doing the best we can. Will that be there for us when it comes time, you know, to turn in our hours? That's I think that's really ultimately what the CITs need is to know that that we're all doing the best we can. And is their best going to be enough? And and ultimately to know that they're not going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I relate to so much what you're saying, because like it's it seems to me like every time there's change, it, it creates stress for us. Like if it's new software we have to use, if it's some kind of new process, if it's a change in laws, I mean, all these things were like, oh, I need to know it. I don't want to give the wrong answer. I don't want to do something illegal <clears throat> or unethical myself. And um, it seems like in the last two years or so, there's been so much change. I mean, everything you've mentioned about, you know, insurance laws, telemental health, um, I think of in regards to the counseling field, like all the interstate compacts that are being signed in the last year or two. Um, and of course that's changing the ability to practice across state lines. And then that continues to change. Like it's it's going across America from the East Coast towards the West. And um, 
And so our students are running into all these issues and so much change is just, um, it's unsettling. And you know, it, it creates anxiety in me as well because I, I wanna know that I'm giving a correct answer but then when I know that things are changing so quickly and I've got to check all these different state licensure boards and laws, it, it, it is it is intimidating for for me as well. <laughs> so. Um, well, l let me let me switch to Dr. Holloway a little bit because you, you mentioned to me in the past about how some of your students have been able to adapt to all of this change. How have you seen your students adapt and maybe some good examples of adapting well and maybe some that didn't adapt well? What, what have you seen? Um, <clears throat> thank you for that question. The students have adapted in terms of just um, being able to, as we transition to being online, you know, showing their sense of resilience. Um, the group of students have historically been able to adapt to a lot of different things in their lives. As uh, Dr. Ford mentioned, they are parents, they have, uh, they work full-time jobs. They, um, many of them were essential workers. So being able just to know that they were important, that people thought that they were important, and just realizing that we as an institution, we as faculty, we're doing our best. And one of the things that I did in one of my classes, because I also serve as the co-editor of the Alabama Counseling uh, Association Journal. And so we decided to do for this upcoming journal was to focus on counselor educators wherever they're working in terms of how they were able to navigate um, COVID. But it didn't have to be like research based. It could be like a reflection article because basically we said this is history making and we want to be able to look back to say what were we doing? How did we do it? And those sorts of things. So one of my assignments was to ask my students, you know, what did you how did you manage COVID-19? What are some positive things that came out? What is your story? And so with that, we submitted it and i um, happy to say that it will be coming out. So they're really excited about that. I really do because in our situation, we can be focused on a lot of negative. So we talk about how do you cognitively restructure that without um, not saying, okay, this didn't happen to you. You didn't just lose somebody, but just trying to look at that from a positive perspective. And I found that that has been uh, very helpful. The same things that they would do for their clients, I'm asking them to apply for themselves and to realize that, you know, uh, a lot of us come into counseling, we don't say it, but it was almost like we want to save the world. And to realize that there's only so much that you can do and make sure in the midst of that, as we talked about earlier, that we are taking care of ourselves. So I would say just, um, reiterating those things and uh, students that were not and were having very difficult time. I had a real hard conversation. One student I had to say to her because she was changing job, single mom, she was not doing well in class, to do a self-assessment and um, recommend that she take some, taking time away from school didn't mean that she was losing out because she's like, I'm the first person in my family to get my 
Bachelor will be the first to get, and I say, and you still can come back and do this. Uh, stopping doesn't mean quitting, but you know, she was not being productive. I recommend to my students all the time to go to counseling uh, because I tell them I'm your teacher, not your therapist. I do not mean that in a derogatory way, but I'm serving in a dual role. But I do want them to know that it's okay because dealing with a Black community, there's a lot of stigma. So we normalize that it is okay to seek counsel. You, this is what you're asking other people to do. So you yourself need to know when you're hemorrhaging. So I'm looking for that. So another thing is, like we talked about Zoom, is I stay back after class. Like once everybody, you know how everybody just want to jump off. I want to jump off too. But I literally stay, and I've found that staying back, there are students that are kind of hang out and they have things they want to talk about. And so just having them to say, hey, that's real. Another thing is the Alabama Council Association, they produce a lot of free stuff that you can go to. So just recently they had this Greek talk and it was really designed for therapists or people who was working. But I contacted the young lady and said, hey, can my students come to this? And she was really says, yes, I said. And just to see the students uh, come and one of the things I did as a result, because as we talk about compassion, as we talk about grace, is I gave them a class time where we, we didn't have to meet for Zoom. And they were really, really excited about that because they had to attend at least three of those sessions. But she has about six of them and they have thoroughly enjoyed it. So it's all in how we introduce stuff to people. And so I would say those are the kinds of things that I've been looking for to share with my students. And if I see them going through something to gently suggest to them about certain things, um, even with Liberty just being online, my students have been very open about, hey, I'm going through this. Can I have some extra time? And normally I'm like, look, I got to get this turned around in five, <laughs> five days. You don't have, but like she said, the letter of the law. And I really appreciate Liberty. Liberty has this book and I thought they had misspelled something. It's called Gracism. I said, oh, I can't believe they must, because I teach the diversity course. I said, oh, it must be racism. But I looked it up and I really liked that. I really liked the rules and they have actually changed. This was something new. They were not doing this from the first time I taught the class. And I said, you know, this is something I could apply to my life. So I've been um, kind of taking stuff from Liberty and, and, and bringing it over to my <laughs> other university and just really saying these are just practical rules that you can actually do. Lift other people up. So I would say those are the sort of things. And people have been really, really open, especially the Black community, as we normalize and we talk about mental wellness in the Black community. Cool. Th thank you. Um, Dr. Camden or Dr. Ford, what are your thoughts about um, how you've seen students adapt to, to COVID, like either handling it well or maybe not handling it well? What, what have you observed? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think what I've what I've observed is they have um, there's been varying degrees of reaching out to professors. Um, some has been some have have done so very appropriately, and some not so appropriately. I, I don't necessarily think in most cases that's intentional. I think they're so wrapped up in whatever their situation is and the severity of it that hey, I'm I'm just uh, I've got to reach out to somebody. I've got to let you know this is going on. But that can get lost sometimes in written communication, um, and so I, th I think for for 
for me, what they need in that in that uh, instance is uh, for me not to have a knee jerk reaction and really just seek to understand what's going on with them, to communicate with them, to thank them for reaching out. Um, and we talk a little bit uh, that you know, as a in a faith based institution, we're saved by grace, but we're not licensed by grace. And so while while I can give you grace, um, I've still you, you know got to be a gatekeeper. And so how do you, how do I, I think stay ethically grounded and accreditation compliant um, from a flexibility standpoint, but also not being so rigid that you, you can't work with students. And so I think they need that flexibility um, uh, as long as it's within reason and, and accreditation standards. Um, I think that would probably be what I've noticed the most is just the need for that flexibility and the idea that, that hey, I'm going to uh, genuinely consider their concerns. I'm glad you brought up the uh, gatekeeping piece. I think that that's uh, been one of the particular areas that that I have noticed um, such a response in. And you were asking how have how are students adapting, right? How are they responding? And we've already got this um, system for noticing professional dispositions, for noticing character attributes that that do or do not uh, predict. Um, you know, effectiveness as a mental health counselor. So we're looking at uh, uh, watching and observing students already uh, as a part of who we are as counselor educators. But as COVID brought so much more anxiety and 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 all of the rules have changed, I think for me um, in that gatekeeping role, uh, it's been really noticing how do students respond to that flexibility, right? Like if I if I sit with a student who's who's losing it, you know, the, the anxiety has gotten to them. It's COVID. It's the schoolwork. It's their family. It's their family with COVID. It's fear of loss. There's so many so many different things coming together in a perfect storm. Can I sit uh, with that student, normalize it, validate it, reflect it with them, and and can they from there? pull back those self-regulation skills and take a deep breath with me, right? And then now let's keep progressing. But I think it's understanding that that there's that in-between. Gatekeeping isn't just noticing that a student is losing it and then writing them off, right? It's noticing that a student is really struggling um, and then walking alongside them in that for a minute uh, to see, uh, do they just need some validation and some reflection on their fears? Really normalizing, talking through how everyone's in this together, um, the support system, pulling pulling that around them. And I think I have personally found that more often than not, when I use that flexibility, when I validate, when I normalize, um, that that students respond well to that. You know, Dr. Holloway, you mentioned the, the, the same uh, with your students, really normalizing having a counselor, normalizing self-care as we all have stuff Go find somebody, go find a professional. You can't lead others where you're not willing to go. I mean, here we walk into a career field where we're going to become counselors. And so we're going to expect our clients to have buy-in for this. But if we don't have personal buy-in for the need for that, um, it's it's hypocritical, right? So really normalizing for our students, um, go get a counselor. It made me, when you were saying that, Dr. Holloway, it was reminding me uh, how when COVID hit, one of the things we added in those online intensives that we had to change real quickly was a quiz where they had to identify a local counselor that they could call in case of emergency. If you get triggered online, if you get if you're in the, the conference center on campus and we're having an intensive and you get upset, 
I can walk with you out into the foyer. We can go out into the parking lot. We can have a conversation and I can help um, normalize and validate you. But when we're online, if you just suddenly don't show back up for class, right? I need that emergency contact number, just like we do with our clients in Delamental Health. I need to, to know that you've got somebody local that you can get to that because you're triggered and you really need to, to do some counseling for yourself. So um, I think the students have responded, just like we've said before, the best they know how, right? And I think for us as counselor educators, it's, it's what is our best in terms of walking alongside them through this and and taking our gatekeeping role seriously but not just in terms of writing people off in terms of normalizing validating and pulling for uh, those self-regulation skills pulling for growth um, in their dispositions absolutely <clears throat> well let me shift the conversation here a little bit all of you have mentioned um you know having to adjust the way you teach and change this change that whatever and I know from an administrative standpoint, that involves getting the leadership at your universities to help you with changing this or changing that or whatever, or the way you need to be gracious towards students or flexible. Um, I, I wanna ask you how helpful you think your leadership has been at your university. But before we get to that, um, I, as, as a matter of transparency, I wanna say to the listeners, my role at the university where I'm at right now is I'm the Dean but I'm the residential dean, and all three of my interviewees today are online professors, so it's a separate section of the university. So I hope you feel safe enough <laughs> to, to respond bluntly you know, to the question of how helpful you think the university has been. And you know, maybe some things they've done well, or maybe some things they could have done better. Um, you know, a, as you've dealt with COVID. So, so what are your thoughts about that? You know, how helpful? Um, has the leadership in it at, at Liberty University or maybe other universities where you might serve? I can speak as a, a newer individual or a newer uh, professor. Um, Liberty University is the only place I've, I've worked, uh, and so I don't have anything to compare it to. But, you know, with Dr. Ford being the, uh, the program director, Dr. Lilly being the, Stacey Lilly being the program chair, uh, Dr. Ford's not giving lip service to the idea that, hey, we have to normalize and validate, but still still work towards something. I mean, in our faculty meetings, that that's what her and Dr. Lilly are talking about. Um, and so I, even just now, I appreciate the the authentic, authenticity that, that she's representing here because that's what she I mean, that's the same stuff she's saying in our meetings. Um, and so uh, that's been my experience with uh, the administration and the online program. us today as well. We hope you enjoy the podcast and learn something new every time. And we'll look forward to seeing you all in the next podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Mental Healthy. Please be sure to subscribe for more episodes and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. You can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. We hope you join us next time for more on Mental Healthy. Music for this podcast is licensed under Creative Commons by Excel Music Publishing at freemusicpublicdomain.com. Thank you.